You kind of think Matthew McConaughey looks hotter, like, when he's all messed up later on and, like, old than, like, he does. I don't know. I don't know. All right. so late. <laughs> no. This is 1230. All right. We're almost done. You cut that out. Welcome to this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we will be covering True Detective Season 1, Episode 2, Seeing Things. Please note in this episode, we may have spoilers through Episode 2. I'll be your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode is Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige-ish Media on Instagram and prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at real, real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at jobless dog mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair, 1017, both on Instagram. We hope you will join us for coming episodes as we cover true detective seasons one through three on the way to the season four premiere on January 14th on HBO, which we will also be covering now without further ado, Here's the episode. Episode two is seeing things, as Dan alluded to. We open on Russ Cole talking about not sleeping, that he thinks about his daughter and his wife. Did you have any more sympathy for him trying to score quaaludes after hearing about some of his sleep troubles, Dan? Or what were your thoughts? No, I will... I wouldn't say more sympathy. I think he's established himself where he is. But through this episode, I started to wonder how reliable he is as a source of information. Like, he's almost kind of like the Poe protagonist, that he's not sleeping, he could be hallucinating, he's on substances. So when he's, like, looking at the birds and they're flying around in weird, like, configurations... I'm like, so is that something that everybody else sees? Or I don't know what we're seeing from his perspective that I can accept as fact. On your side, did you have any more sympathy for him having sleep troubles? Have you ever had any notorious sleep troubles as a mom? No, I don't sleep. No, well, no, yeah, I would. No, I don't think it's bad to take drugs to go to sleep. Do you, yeah. Craig? Do you think that it's okay to take stuff to sleep? Well, so to be clear, because of some of my sleep issues before I'd been prescribed Ambien, but I wouldn't take it because I was too afraid of the side effects to take oh it gosh, and I what that would cause. I was prescribed it too, and I wouldn't take it. I've never taken it. Somewhere in my house, there's a bottle of Ambien. So I think with that said, while I wouldn't take it, I could sympathize with somebody that's having trouble sleeping, especially somebody that's lost their wife, lost their daughter, or I guess divorced his wife, but actually lost his daughter as far as we know. We find out that nobody knew that was in the playhouse for 10 years, the bird trap. Apparently, the school that the girl was in was shut down in 1992, but we don't really get any other context than that. That, But there's another clue. I think that's on the Fountaineau girl. So that's about when I was born. three years before this other murder. Um, they not- We find out that they've notified the deceased mother. So that's Dora's mom. We're in Dora mom's, Dora's mom's house where we see a lot of pills and religious symbols. She said she had been going 
to church. Dora had been going to church. The mom kind of starts getting spontaneous headaches. We know she has like chemicals, burns on her nails, or maybe drug issues with her nails. She says it's from the chemicals when she worked in the laundromat, I think. Did you have any opinions on Dora's mom, Dan? And were you aware of that? That's who we were getting with at that point in time. I keep, I hate to keep hammering on this, but I'm waiting for her cousin Diego to pop in. <laughs> Gotta be there somewhere. But she seemed like just another unreliable character to me. I mean, the episode's called Seeing Things, and it seems like I can't trust anybody necessarily 100% with what they're saying. Did you think his mom was really getting headaches, Jessica? Did you think she was faking it? Do you think she had drug issues, chemical issues? What do you think was going on with her? Oh, I think she's nuts. I just think she has lost it. I do think that probably working with the dry cleaning chemicals had some sort of effect on her. Especially if she was drinking them. Yeah, maybe. But like lead poisoning? I don't know. I think she's nuts and didn't really give them too much to go off of. Well, I mean, I think I mean, I think that's really part of what this show is, though, is showing these desperate poverty ridden areas and the effects that the world has. what's your thoughts on that dan is that fair commentary fair game for commentary only in the context that even the people that are supposed to be the heroes have problems so you know i wouldn't consider rust you know to be in any different well he's in a different class and he's got the same problems and Marty, who, you know, seems to have everything figured out, you see is really pretty full of bullshit later in the episode. So they've all got kind of their own addictions. And I don't know that class necessarily matters, but they are all part of this regional, you know, kind of plague. It is hard sometimes to figure out what's a real issue, what's a drug issue, what's, you know, it, 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 it's something you see. And I do think that's what we see here. We see this mother who is a church-going woman, but she's got a basket full of pills. She's got hands that are riddled with sores that they could be a real medical issue and they could be a drug issue, and it's hard to it's hard to sort out. Well, and I think one thing they seem to be setting up as a theme uh, in the season early on is you've got a lot of people dealing with pain. And how did they do that? How did they push through it? How do they handle it and this is an area where there seems to be a lot of depression for all sorts of different reasons and it seems like everybody in the show is dealing with this in one way or the other Every, yeah everyone seems to have a crutch like whether it's what is woody's characters like marty Oops. marty's <laughs> doing it with sex and then you got rust drinking you've got ugh, people leaning on religion ugh. and uh you got a bunch of people on drugs seems like marty's getting the the high end of that stick for sure yeah so we... he's having a good time <laughs> so his wife me eh, not getting the well, she's getting the short she's end, not of the stick. Any end of the stick she's not yeah she's not <laughs> so we see i think it's a result of the dinner marty trying to ask some more questions of russ again is that how you took that in the car because obviously the previous car interview scene he was like don't fucking ever talk again but we see him start to kind of ask marty or marty asking russ question again is that how you took that dan him kind of reacting to the dinner scene trying to get to know him again because of what his wife said i think it was about power 
and I know I came back to that in the first episode, but Marty had a plan to get Rust out of there. And Rust almost defied Marty's plan and stayed there next to his wife. And we do really see some cracks in their relationship outside the locker. But, you know, that conversation was really kind of, to me, Marty, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to be one of the guys. Why did you define me in that moment? That's what I read into it. When part of this split scene we get is he asks if his mom is still alive. And he says, maybe. And then I think they flash to the current timeline with the detectives. And he starts to mention that his dad was in Alaska again. It was in Alaska and Nam. Um, and so then Marty also talks about his dad. And he says, even in the end, I think my dad could have taken me. And he said there was a time men didn't air their bullshit to the world. And here we are on a podcast. <laughs> Do you think... Yeah. Do you think you could take your dad now, Jessica, like in a fight? No, no, I probably couldn't. What if he's near the end? Do you think you could take him then? Yeah, the end of life. <laughs> yeah. Could you snuff like that he's... last bit of life out from him? Yeah, he's Come on, Jessica. Like... What if he's got a harpoon in his leg? Could you take him then? <laughs> uh, twist, twist the harpoon. Yeah. See, no, uh, I could definitely beat up both my grandparents probably at the same time. <laughs> Is, was there ever a stage you could have took your dad, Dan? I would have to. He would be the smart money. Still, I'm. I'm curious. Turning this one back on you, the senior versus junior bout of the champions. Yeah, Craig. Do you think that Dan and I could beat up your dad? <laughs> he would take my dad. I think, in a two-on-one fight. I think at this point, I've just, I'm just so big and he is just so small that I think weight class wise, I would get him. But I will say this any fight with him, like, I'm going to know he he's was gotta, there. Go ahead. He's got to be scrappy. And I'm thinking senior of 15 years ago, but. Yeah. I mean, at this point, he's closer to 70. I think he just turned 69. I think I could, I, I think I could, I think I could ultimately win a fight to the death, but it would take its toll on me. Like I would have bite marks. I would have scratch marks. Like I will have, it would be rough. He would chew off your thumb. Yeah. I mean, he would have no, I mean, and that's the other thing is he would have no rules and I would at least be trying to like control it and not. Wait, so you don't think Dan and I could beat him up? Man, it would be rough. He's out there. I think Dan and I could beat you up. That's ridiculous. You could beat your dad, but we couldn't. Do you think that how many of your nephews do you think you could beat up one right after the other? Well, so my if I my oldest sister has some nephews that are like adult age, but it was just like all my youngest nephews. I I think I could take them all in a gauntlet, even the adult ones. I think so. No weapons, because some of them might be carrying, like, knives on them or something. Mm, yeah, no. Just hand-to-hand combat, I think I would be fine. All right, let's get back to the business at hand. They interview the victim's friend next. Her friend describes her as thin, loopy, and high. She says she found a church, but something went, something was wrong with her eyes. She mentions a shelter someplace down south, Spanish Lake. Marty starts asking Rust about dinner again. Rust says it wasn't as bad as he thought it was going to be. He was starting to sober up. 
Finally, he tells Marty about his daughter dying. Since, you're, since you are talking about that power struggle, Dan, I thought he told him finally about his daughter dying to kind of disarm Marty a little bit because Marty was starting to get into him a little bit. How did you read him finally telling him about that? I kind of thought it was a concession of Russ playing ball a little bit. This is something you should probably know about me. It's just not easy. But now that I've met your family and things like that, this is why I struggled. This is why I showed up drunk. Like you, you put me in a rough position. You didn't know it. And I think he was just trying to explain himself. And then we do kind of see him talking about how he can be a critical person, how he can wear down people, how people around him get unhappy. In the current timeline, he's explaining to the cops that once you reach a certain age, you know who you are. Did you like that scene at all, Jess? Jessica, was it relative to you when you heard him just kind of talking about how he knows who he is at this age? Old Rust? Um, I think he's pretty much been in tune with himself the whole time, and I'm kind of sad to see him end up where he is and accepting that as himself. But no, I haven't really found myself yet. I hope this isn't it. What about you, Dan? I mean, I'm kind of in the middle. Jessica being the youngest, how did you kind of take that scene when he says that? Yeah, it was an elderly man like yourself. Oh, thank you. I, well, I was trying to figure out how old he was. I like that he seemed to have a sense of peace. But at the same time, like, obviously, he's still got his demons. He just seems to have embraced them a little bit. And he's like, yeah, this is what I am. I gave up is almost what I feel like he, he's that. But I, I put him at younger than me now. So I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I think they're... And I do think that's why the show is really such a good example of writing is these are the pieces and the lines to me that for me, like it kind of makes you think about it. Like I think about it at my age, like I'm not married currently. I assume I will get married and have kids at some point. I've talked to a few other people that are, you know, in their late Mm -hmm. thirties, early forties in this same position. And you do start to ask yourself some of these questions, you know, and I don't want to think that I'm where this guy's going to be, but you do start to wonder what if your life is settled? What do you still have to accomplish? So I think it's a good, it's a good way to make the audience think, in my opinion, regardless of your age. What did you think? So we see the we see Marty telling the story to the guys in the bar about being college and sleeping with the gal, and then the other guy coming up. Behind it wasn't him a guy, it was a girl. The other girl coming up behind him and sticking a finger in his butt, and then he okay, hasn't been the same since. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that, Jessica? Okay. In 2023, that'd be rape. And I mean, come on. If it was a guy roommate doing that to a girl, oh my God, that's horrible. But I guess guys love that. They think it's funny and it's kind of hilarious that he says now he needs it every time. <laughs> it ruined him. To me, Dan, it kind of speaks to you, like him kind of what? being that. So, so well, no. Hold the phone. You spoke to Marty's character earlier about him kind of being this like social beast, just trying to like get along with everybody or talk to everybody. I, I kind of took it as showing that side. What did you think of the old bar joke scene? Yeah, he seems really comfortable with the old guys network. 
And through the course of this episode, I became really critical of Marty for his bullshit, basically. He became a character to me that was, you know, you were kind of talking about where this is in the space of TV. There was some Walter White in this. There was some like, I get away with this. I do it for my family. There was some Don Draper. There was some Sopranos, Tony Soprano. And, you know, it, kind of an anti-hero type thing. But I really, I started to like Marty less and less as the episode played out. Yeah, no, I think that's valid. That's valid, Dan. I will say when he kept using why he cheats on his family, to me, that was the most disturbing thing. Like, it's one thing to cheat on your family or to have issues with your wife or maybe not like your home life, but to really kind of describe in detail why he needed to do that and, like, why it was good for his family, I thought that was a bridge too far for me. I'm Um, surprised you say it's, you know, one thing for a guy to cheat on his wife and stuff. But then in the uh, last show that we covered, House of Usher, you said that the one wife, because it crossed her mind to cheat, but she didn't actually do it, that she deserved to die. Uh Whoa, whoa. (laughs) Well, to be fair, she cheated. She was trying to cheat on him at an orgy with his brother. So I think that's like a little more than just you know, a one-on-one cheat off. So no, you would, th- you would think that it's worse to do it like repeatedly with someone from work, but whatever. But d- was the guy she was trying to cheat with Alexandra Daddario? That is my question. He um, is the male equivalent. So let, let's continue though. So Marty's talking about this decompressing before he goes home. He messages Lisa, Marty, and then these are my notes where he's like excusing that this behavior is good for his family. He ends up bringing... Alexandra Daddario slash Lisa handcuffs. Do you know what that alcohol was, Dan? Was that whiskey, I guess? Yeah, I took it as some sort of scotch or whiskey. Probably cheap. She handcuffs him, takes off her clothes. Can you give me a breakdown of this scene, Jessica? What were your thoughts on that Alexandra Daddario scene? Initial thought, how are her boobs so big on such a small body? And they're definitely real. I studied. Just insane. Are they or were you seeing things? What? Well, I mean, the episode's called Seeing Things. So there were a lot of times in this episode where I'm like... Well, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I kind of think that they seem real. I just couldn't believe that they did her like full nude and now she's like a big star. I don't mean to be the Mr. Skin of the prestigious media podcast, but... This scene has been since day one in my top 10 film scenes of all time. And it will stay there. It's definitely that and the Selena Gomez wedding dress scene in uh, the last season are both staples of, of television history. So Russ Cole is back on the road. He's kind of having visions. He was in an, an HIDTA high intensity drug trafficking area in Texas. He spent four years undercover. That's why his files are sealed. So he's describing that in the current timeline. As he's describing that, they're flashing back. He pulls up to the motel with the chick from the bar where he's trying to get more quaaludes from her. When you saw that scene, Dan, did you think he was going to go further than just trying to get the quaaludes? Or what did you think that scene was going to be compared to what it ended up being? Like, I already had the read on Marty being the womanizer sex guy. 
So actually with Rust's demons, I actually kind of got the vibe that he was just into her for the medication, even though she clearly wanted something else. Yeah, and I do think that he also was still trying to get information about the girl as well. And this is where he finds out about kind of the trailer park where girls work and stay. They call it the ranch. This is the second reference we get to South of Spanish Lake here. Jessica, what did you think on the girl in the motel hitting on Russ Cole? If you were Russ Cole, would you have slept with her sores all over her leg or would have that have been a pass for you? No, she seemed too dirty. I think Dan would have, but I would have <laughs> I would have passed. You got me figured out so fast. He would have murdered her. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> so I do think that you know it's quite a dichotomy between the Alexander Daddario offering and the the gal with sores all over her body. Um right? why is he getting oh, dude so, it's like visiting like a they're in like a third world county. They just need We're, to go to the nearest big city and just meet some good girl. I don't know. You can't well, say not, that. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. Party. You can't say that. What did I say? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here's the question I have for both of you. If she didn't have the sores. Still, would... no. She's dirty. Jesus. Dan, sore, no sores. Would it be a consideration? He was I down mean, for the sores. In fiction and cinema, there are some attractive women of the night she would not be one of them without the sword she kind of had an 80s vibe but the drought is still like an 80s whore the the drought is still very much in effect but the sores would have been a no-go for me so we see marty as he's being uncuffed asking lisa what she was doing the night before he's clearly trying to get her to stay in she says, I can't meet a nice man at home. What did you think of Marty kind of trying to control what Lisa did outside of their, obviously, just purely physical relationship, Jessica? Unfair, but that's what dudes do. Yeah, I thought it was pretty fucked up that he's not only hooking up with this younger girl, but he's also going to kind of direct what she's going to do in his oh, life while he's married. to have their cake and eat it, too. And he did. What Any added oh, additional ate. thoughts on that, Dan? <laughs> It made me like him less, but what's the point in having cake if you can't eat it? Decoration? She seemed to pipe down a little bit as the scene pivoted and cut away. I will say that. So what did you take, not just this scene, but in the prior episode, early in the morning, Rust uh, oftentimes is the first person at work. He was like, it was kind of after both Quaalude scenes. Is it that he got a good night's sleep right after the Quaaludes, or am I trying to put too much together there? But both mornings, I think, were after he scored the drugs, and he seemed to be, like, first person in the office. Did you catch any of that, Dan? Yeah, I thought he was more compelled by the case and wanting to get cracking on it than, like, his... I think that this case is almost, like, a direction for this character, away from all the distractions and a way to find like some peace in his work. So that's what had me viewing him. That's how I see him driving at it. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I was unsure, but it seemed like both his early scenes were directly after his Quaalude score. So I didn't know if maybe he was getting some extra shut eye or what the deal was. We see kind of this first real confrontation between Marty and Russ. 
we hear Russ say, you need to wash up. You got some pussy on you. They have this constant confrontation where Rust almost breaks his hands. What did you think about that scene, Jessica? Gary came down while I was watching that scene, and I said, what, Gary? Because these guys are about to kiss. I'm sure he loved that as well. But I think that it's he knows that Rust could kick his ass, but I think that's hard for him to swallow, too, being... Well, he did bring up Marty's wife again by name. And that's where he kind of said, keep, you know, my wife's name out of your mouth kind of deal. Did you think? I think he kind of cares for his wife. Not wants to bang, but I think he genuinely has a soft spot for her. Or Or maybe he's just like a better person. He might just be like a good person. We will ultimately see. We go to the scene where Rust and Rust and Marty head to a mechanic shop to try to get information on where this supposed bunny ranch is. We get a quote from Marty where he said he knew a few CIs, confidential informants, from his narco days, and he had... <laughs> hey, I just want to say an APB is an all-points bulletin. <laughs> Good to know as well. He had about a sharp eye for weaknesses, as I've seen. So we see them go in together, ask the mechanics for information. They basically tell them to fuck off. They get in the car. Russ goes back in and kind of roughs those guys up. Yeah, we see what would happen if me and Dan walked in to beat up your dad. Yeah. <laughs> You're the um, one taking off your coat and marching back in. I'm just sitting in the car. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would kick his ass. So I I keep checking in with you, Dan, but once again, we see Russ kind of breaking bad here, but still no real issues from it on your end. You know, this, there's part of this narrative that kind of bothers me. I think just in the scene, they want to establish that Russ can snap and has this side, which it was good. It was the first time we see, but again, with the geography, how can there be a trailer park of young hookers and the cops don't know where it is? That part really bothered me. Yeah, I mean, I, in my mind, it's just got to be far away. Or we assume, like, when we what we find out later, one of the sheriffs obviously was, like, pseudo-okaying it. So maybe that's yeah. in his jurisdiction. But, yeah, it's a little weird. I tried not to let it bother me as much as I just don't really understand where this geography is. So I'm just going to kind of accept the premise. When they pulled, when they did finally get there, there was this, like, red pole, like, sign type of thing. Was there a bra hanging from that, or could you tell what was hanging from that red sign that was there? I was just looking for underage chicks. I was not looking for yeah. any Yeah, I actually rewound it because I could not tell if it was like a bra or something. I didn't but notice I... anything. So they find the ranch. I think Marty calls it a hillbilly bunny ranch. It's Sheriff Bilson, because like when they start asking the girls about it, one of them says maybe you should ask Sheriff Bilson. So that's the first sign that we have that, like, a sheriff is in on it. We see her friend's name is Beth. So she mentions that she mentions Dory, or which she calls her Dory, but it's obviously Dora. But big scene for you guys, because they find her bag. Doesn't Dora the Explorer have a bag? (laughs) Backpack, backpack. Is that from Dora, too? Yeah. Swiper, no swiping. (laughs) So apparently Dory gave... Beth tips and stuff when she got there. I don't think these were like, you know, make sure to close your sleeping bag at night tips. And she said she thought maybe she got into a new place. She's been going to church. She was hoping that like she had found like maybe a better life. Marty starts questioning 
uh, I guess what is the madam of the hillbilly bunny ranch. She asks her if she if the sheriff knows she has underage girls working there. She says she doesn't look like a woman to me. Did this change your perspective on Marty at all, Dan? Because, you know, you're the main Marty hater, I think. Um, well, no, this made him seem more hypocritical to me, that he was going to try and have this moral authority when we know what's going on in his life. And so... And we know he's going to be banging that girl in two years. Oh, I wasn't going there. But uh, uh, Marty's not going to change. Right. Well, and it seems like he hasn't really changed that much in the flash forward interviews. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he already knew like, who he was. Yeah, he kind of seems, like, yeah, oh, yeah, I did it. It was fun. You know? Yeah, I don't think he sees an issue with who he is and how he conducts himself. I think. Yeah, whereas Rust has this weird comfort in knowing where he is, Marty still seems very aloof and like uncomprehending. Yeah, I think it's hard. You know, most hypocrites aren't super self aware. I kind of went both ways on it. Like I thought at least he was trying to stick up for those girls in a weird way or did have some moral range, but it was not lost on me that those girls weren't probably that far away in age from the chick that he was hooking up with for sure. He tried to give the girl some money and said, do something else. I did think it was kind of fucked up that Rust asked him if that was a down payment. But I do think that, you know, once again, for all the issues between the two, I think these two characters as both detectives and people do balance each other out well because they're not afraid to challenge each other and they also are coming at things from different perspectives. So, I, you know, once again, it's an interesting relationship for sure. It um, seems almost like the most honest relationship that Marty has. Yeah, I would believe that for sure. And it, and how many... Most honest and most challenging. Yeah, so they start reading her diary. There is a note in there that says, I closed my eyes and saw the king in yellow moving through the forest. The king's children were marked. They became his angels. The yellow king Carcosa. They do start asking the question that I was really wondering kind of this whole time. If he was dosing her regularly and over time, they start kind of asking about these the, the drug situation. They find a flyer for a church. Now, back in the current timeline, we find out that Russ was sent to North Shore Psychiatric Hospital in 1990. He mentions that his daughter was on the tricycle in her driveway. And after whatever happened, Claire and I resented each other, Claire being his wife. After that, he mentions he transferred to Narco. He was working 24-7. He ended up in a Ramada doing eight bowls. He said he emptied, I think, into a meth head for injecting his infant. And at that point, that's when he got transferred to be a floater for narcotics. And they said that they kind of used him like a trick. How did you feel about Russ, Jessica? Do you think he was justified in shooting that dude who was like injecting meth into his infant? What are your thoughts on him as a character with some you of these? You know that as a cop, they're supposed to like arrest him, but I could understand why his emotions took over because that guy still had his kid and he was, you know, potentially killing it. Well, and he's doing drugs in narco anyway, so I'm sure he's not always in the best frame of mind. What were your thoughts on him, some of these character revelations, Dan? It filled in for good backstory. 
And I'm trying to remember through the course of the episode because this was like very clear and very linear, but I'm also remembering a lot of scenes where they're just kind of like driving around in search of the church or in search of the encampment. And he's just kind of like spouting nonsense looking out the window. And it seemed very similar to his whole Lincoln car campaign that was probably around the same time, which drove me nuts. So where they would just turn him loose and he would say things like, the world is a bobby pin or, you know, just like stupid stuff like that. I do think some of these things, as much as they're McConaughey, these are like Nick Pizzolatto writing. So, you know, his background is really writing novels. And so you really see these meaty, novel-y type exposition that he gets to put forward at a TV show. And I will say this, if you're a writer and, you know, you like to self-indulge with some of those monologues, who is a better character to develop, to deliver that than old Matthew McConaughey? So, so as you say that, obviously those types of things annoyed you, but you do have, like, it does seem some, some soft type of spot for Rust or do seem to like him at least more than Marty finding out that he had really some of these nasty things in his background. It didn't seem like all of them were his fault, right? Like I had at least some sympathy for him. Any, did, did you think he was wrong for shooting the meth head, injecting his imp in, or I don't really know how narco goes. You know, I assume you have to do drugs, I guess. Yeah, yeah you're an undercover or else they will find you out and they'll just kill you. So now to come full circle, where I'd go to Woody's end of the bar, I would go to Rust over Marty for his end of the bar, to harken back to that earlier question. I do like Rust over Marty as somebody to hang out with. If you're on Marty's... Okay, so you would go to Woody over Matthew. Yeah, as as, as a human person, but as a character, I'm gravitating to Rust. Well, on Marty's okay. end of the bar, you might get a finger up the butthole. So you got to be careful on that side. You just got to be right. careful where you sit. Okay, would you rather go to Alexandra Daddario side of the bar or the prostitute with the sores on her leg? <laughs> Dario, but a better question would have been but your dad is waiting. But your dad is also waiting with Alexandra to beat you up. You have to have choose to, the side of the bed. <laughs> I have to beat my dad up before I can bang the sore-ridden whore. Whoa, you it, can't just... Uh, wait, what? That's how she got the sores. <laughs> go, she kept go over to Alexandra knees. to beat your dad up, then go back to the whore. <laughs> Bye, Alexandra. I have plans. So he mentioned that in February 93, he killed three cartel men, and then he was offered a psych pension but he instead opted to be put on homicide somewhere. So that's how he ended up in Louisiana. He mentions nightmares and PTSD. We go to Marty with, I guess it was Maggie's dad. The girls are fishing. They're kind of like arguing about whether old people had it better or his generation had it better. Like an upgrade though. That's not really a punishment, right? Don't a lot of detectives like aim to get to homicide. I think he was owed favors, and I think he's just like homicide anywhere. So I'm just accepting the premise. Uh, I'm not going to fight this. What did you think? (laughs) (laughs) And then Maggie's mom is like giving her shit about her marriage and asking her questions about the marriage. What were your thoughts on that scene with Maggie's parents, Dan? Any thoughts? All the characters seemed kind of true to what it, it was all very believable, and it all seemed to kind of click. 
There was one stylistic note that isn't this where the girls are like in a canoe? Robo, like, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. kind of it seemed maybe I'm taking too much from it, but like Marty has this moat between everybody and his family. And that's interesting. It, like, yeah. And it, just like, why are two girls sitting in a rowboat? Like, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I You didn't do that at your grandfather's? I'm serious. <laughs> my grandpa had a rowboat and a little pond. Well, I can say from my standpoint, I was just like terrified these girls were going to hook their fingers or something. Like, and I was. Somebody's I, butt? Okay, <laughs> no. your grandparents obviously did not have a pond. Well, no, like, I thought they were going to. Actually, gonna my cousin their... hooked me. My cousin did hook okay. me when we were little. <laughs> but it was my back, it was safe. Well, I mean, I we hear them like talking about twisting in the line and they're struggling with the line. And I'm like, one of these guys are going to hook themselves. That's what I was waiting for. So we see Rust is really on the case. He's going door to door. He's taking pictures. He's watching working girls. Maggie and Marty are arguing in the kitchen. Maggie says, you used to not be such a chicken shit. I swear. Marty's kind of line that seemed to go too far is he said, even your mom thinks you're a ball buster. What were your thoughts on the marriage argument scene, Jessica? Just typical. I think that she's probably held her tongue for a really long time. Dan, did you have any thoughts on their kitchen fight? Like, I've been there and lived it, but I'm not really a cop. And it, like, not I was really kind of happy. What's that? Not no, really I didn't, a cop? A I didn't carry it. But I was kind of, like, good for the wife for holding his feet to the fire. Because I think a lot of times in those dy- dynamics with the dominant male cop thing like you don't even question or stand up for it so i kind of liked that she was free to challenge him a little bit there yeah i think my main takeaways were like when he said even your mom thinks that you're a ball buster that just seemed to be like a bridge too far and kind of the end of the conversation for everyone um and i think even he knew he went too far it was kind of a mic drop but at the same time I like that he thinks he's getting away with this and everybody sees it. I was also wondering, my other takeaway was, I was wondering if he was trying to get out there to bang Lisa because she kind of made him stay and he eventually gave in, but it was like he was trying to get away. And so I was wondering if he was trying to get away to see her as well. The only other note I have here is kind of a weird sign with the scene with the daughter's Barbies there at the end and they obviously linger on it. Any thoughts on that, Dan? So there were a handful of things that I was going to ask. Did this really happen or is it part of the seeing things premise? Yeah, and and I will say this. I did not totally ride the seeing things all the way through on this one. So I didn't really tie that together. What were your thoughts on the weird scene that they showed with the Barbies in the bedroom, Jessica? With somebody that probably played with Barbies, actually, or dolls of sorts more than I did. No, I don't think anyone played with them more than you did. But Just the ones your mom gave me. Keep going. I don't have anything more to add. Yeah, I mean, I know it's it's hard to judge what kids do with the dolls sometimes, I think. I know my sister just dismantled all her Barbies and had that bottom drawer of naked Barbies, and it seemed weird, but I don't think it was anything odd. No, my... that way you can like start fresh, dress them up for whatever occasion there is the next time you play. And my sister, I think, performed the first transsexual He-Man wedding with my dolls in the late 80s. So, you know. Way to be under the curve. 
She definitely was. Uh, so Russ starts talking to de detectives. This is where even for me, Russ gets a little wild. He starts talking about how maybe his daughter was spared. She didn't feel a thing. She went straight into a coma. Isn't that a beautiful way to go out painlessly as a happy child? That's where I'm like really wondering if they really are interviewing as a murderer because that's, you know, a very murderer thing to say. He mentions the hubris it must take to rank us, to yank a soul from non-existence into this, uh, into this. He said, it spared me the sin of being a father. So to me, this is all serial killer talk. They bring in a new fly-in fly squad to investigate the occult links it's a task force from the gov from the governor we see russ and marty talking to major ken he tells russ cole to shut the fuck up and then he asks marty if they want to pass on the case and marty asks for the rest of the month versus two weeks did you have any additional thoughts on this scene with major ken dan as far as them you know kind of taking the case and him kind of telling russ he's lucky that Marty, marty's even vouching for him no that seemed to hold up and it you can see the pressures like trying to get a resolution even if it's not the right one so i was nodding as i was going through it yeah okay i can see this checks out and that happens in real life like even you know like the other documentary i mentioned about you can tell there's just a real pressure even if it's the wrong person, just get somebody on the hook for this thing, especially in a small community like that. So this is where we see Marty in the current timeline say, ask the detectives if they're on to something new. So going back to what I was saying, you know, a little earlier in the previous episode, towards the end of the episode, Rust is, what do you got? Show me your shit. And now Marty's finally getting to the finish line. I think that's probably similar to how they are as detectives. I think Rust is more likely to get there a little bit earlier. So they drive out to this revival church. They find this shack in the middle of nowhere. This is where we see, as you mentioned earlier, Dan, kind of like the bird flying in the symbol of that circular cycle thing that they said was a satanic image. Rust in the middle of all this says he still sees things, but it stopped altogether after a few clean years. And they find this antler graffiti woman as they're finding that. This is some of the descriptive language that Russ used. He said at times when he was seeing stuff like this, he thought he was mainlining the secret truth from the universe. What were your thoughts on them finding this church and the imagery in it, Dan? What did you think about this? Again, being lost on dirt roads and not knowing how to find, like, that was all something that I was kind of struggling with through it. And when Rust gets really poetic, sometimes for me, it's a little bit too much. And it just flashes me to that McConaughey that's trying too hard. I know it's how it's written for him, but I'm like, all right, now you're just going to be spewing REM lyrics and other nonsensical whatever so like someone yeah, you just no. gotta roll your eyes at after a while <laughs> did the antler graffiti women get you horny yes or no yes Dan. oh me or dan oh okay <laughs> no that was earlier in the episode pretty much i was done by then he's still done <laughs> a little tougher at that age dan i hear you uh jessica <laughs> your thoughts on the church Shack building, the horny antler woman, Russ Cole's meandering. 
I just, I think they found like their first, well, second biggest clue. I think that her diary was the biggest. And then the little nest thing. So maybe like the third. Or trap. Maybe the biggest. Maybe the biggest. Yeah, I would say I thought episode one ended on a better cliffhanger than episode two, but definitely ready to see more. So Dan, second episode, any over any additional overall thoughts in your episode rating? No, not necessarily. I, this hasn't, at, at this point, established itself as a cliffhanger show for me. So if that's something that it develops into that's interesting, um, I, I really wonder a lot about the reliability of uh, some of the detectives and what they're seeing. I'm wondering if we're seeing images on there, if it's um, like hallucinated or what. In the first episode, Rust sees the little girl and asks Marty if he sees ghosts or something along those lines. And yes. Yeah, I was so I'm unsure. Wondering, I'm wondering, was that supposed to be his girl? Would another person there be seeing that? And so that's what I took with me through a lot of this episode, just wondering if certain things are real or not. When I think regardless of what's real or not, I think we have some unreliable narrators, like Marty obviously maybe being less honest, and Rust having different you know, traumas, chemical dependencies, lack of sleep you know, two unreliable narrators. Jessica, or, or before we move on there, what's your rating on the episode, Dan? I'm going to go, because Marty was a downer, I'm going to go 7.56. Okay, so little, you like this second episode a little less than the first. And then before we move on from you too, because you're the only one who hasn't seen this before, you're two episodes in. Is this a show you're enjoying? Are you glad you're engaged in it? How do you feel two episodes in? Well, I'm going to stick with it, but honestly, I watch a lot of crap where once I've started it, unless it's Vampire Diaries, I'm going to see it through to the end. So I know I'm in for the long haul, but it is, I've got questions and it's moving forward. I don't have a lot of characters that I'm really identifying with or rooting for. I got one character I'm rooting for. Go ahead. (laughs) Rooting for her to get the hell out. But... It's interesting enough in that kind of what you spoke to earlier, it is making me ask questions and kind of reflecting on it outside of the show, which is good. Cool. Jessica, rating out of five. 10, gun to your head. Oh, five. good Lord, a five. Okay. What, half what, good, half bad. What was the bad of this episode for you? I think they're a little bit confusing in the interviews of who their question, questions are about. Also, but then they had like found some good clues, but then also it was just, I don't know. I don't really care about Marty's personally. All right. So I think I'm going to give the episode an eight. Too generous. Dude, are you kidding? It gets way better. That's what she said. Yeah. I mean, I could see somebody giving a seven. I feel pretty comfortable. You're, oh, okay. I know why you gave it an eight. Don't even well, worry. no, now that I think about that, I, I mean, it, it's a it's a hard eight for me, dog. Uh, so, yeah. Eight, <laughs> really? Well, I, all right. Seven and a half, <laughs> final answer. All right. So, yeah, no, I'm enjoying the show. I'm glad to be back to it. Um, glad to pod with you guys. And we'll see what the next three episodes bring.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we covered True Detective Season 1, Episode 2, Seeing Things. I was your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode was Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige-ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram. We hope you will join us for coming episodes as we cover True Detective seasons one through three on the way to the season four premiere January 14th on HBO, which we will also be covering. Thank you again for listening. If you can, please like and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, and we hope you will join us again for another episode soon. My grandpa just <laughs> lost a leg, so I got a leg up on him. Oh, zing. Did yeah, you I could do it. Why? Wait, what are we talking about? Two. I need like a monster or something. I'm falling asleep. <laughs>